This is Dina Weiss, Once Upon an Eyelash, Parashat Vayetze. When we meet our foremothers, Leah and Rachel, we immediately learn about their appearance, specifically that Rachel was beautiful and Leah less so. Ulalavan Shtevanot, Shem Hagdola Leah, Veshem Hakatana Rachel. Lavan had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. The Ene Leah Rakot, the Rachel Hayata Yefat Toar Viefat Mara. And Leah's eyes were swollen, and Rachel was beautiful in form and beautiful in appearance. What motivates these verses? Why does the Torah need to testify to how unattractive Leah is? It almost seems like Lashon Hara, harmful speech, to tell us which of the sisters is prettier than the other. Even if it were necessary to emphasize that Rachel is beautiful, if Yaakov loved her because he was attracted to her, does the description of her beauty need to come at Leah's expense? This unflattering description of Leah seems gratuitous. It would have been sufficient for the Torah to remark on Rachel's beauty alone, and the reader would have understood that she was the pretty one. Yet, this is precisely the point. As the information about Leah's sad eyes tells us nothing about Rachel and her appearance, we can understand that this verse is not primarily about Rachel at all. It is about Leah, and the Torah is not coming to gossip about Leah's ugliness, but rather to tell us about her beauty. The Torah only appears to be gossiping about Leah in order to teach us a crucial lesson about Leah, and through her story about the nature of Lashon Hara itself. The Talmud also evinces some horror at the way these verses describe Leah. Ve'ine Leah Rakot. My Rakot. Ile ma Rakot mamash, efshar bignut behemat me'alo dibera katuv? Dichtiv, minha behemah Torah, uminha behemah asher enena Torah, bignut sadikim dibera katuv? And Leah's eyes were swollen. Rakot. What does the verse mean by rakot? If you say that it literally means that they were puffy, is it possible that the text wouldn't speak disparagingly of a non-kosher animal, but would speak disparagingly of the righteous? Rav Amar, le'olam rakot mamash, velo genai hula, hula, shomat al parashat drachim, b'nei adam shayu omrim, Shnei banim yeshla l'rivka, shtei banot yeshlo l'lavan, gedola l'gadol, u'katana l'katan. V'hayta yoshevet al parashat rachim, u'mash'elet, gadol ma ma'asav? Ish rahu melasteim briot, katan ma ma'asav? Ish tam yoshev ohalim. V'hayta bocha ad shenashru risei eneha. Rav said, yes, it really means puffy. This isn't a disparagement of her. Rather, it is praise that she would listen at the crossroads to people who would say Rivka had two boys and Lavan had two girls. So Lavan has an older girl for the older boy and a younger girl for the younger boy. And she would sit at the crossroads and ask, the older one, what does he do? They would answer, he is an evil man and a highwayman. 
She would ask the younger one, what does he do? They would answer, he is an innocent man who dwells in tents. And she would cry and cry until her eyelashes fell out. Rav's words come to account for how it is that Leah's eyes became so soft and swollen, how she became comparatively unattractive. He reads verse 17, which describes the appearance of the sisters, in light of verse 16, which tells us which daughter was older and who their father is. Leah's haggard appearance is a direct outgrowth of her status as the older sister. Because she was the older daughter, she was told that she would marry Asaph, the older son. She was so distraught at thinking about her future with Asaph that she cried away her beauty. Rav Baruch HaLevi Epstein, in his Torah Tamima, quotes the above passage from Bava Batra, and in his footnote says that were it not for the damage to Leah's eyes, she would have been as beautiful as Rachel. He is inspired by the verse which says, Ula Lavan Banot, Lavan had two daughters. Hayadai Lichtov Ula Lavan Banot, it would have been sufficient to write that Lavan had daughters. And we would have known, based on the exegetical principle, that when you have an unspecified plural, you can assume the amount is two, that they, the daughters, were two. And since the verse explicitly says two, it indicates that they were equivalent. The Torah Tamima argues, that the phrase, Lavan had two daughters, contains an extra word, two. This superfluous two puts Rachel and Leah in the same category as other dumbbells that we have in the Torah, which rabbinic tradition assumes are identical. They are like the goats which are brought on Yom Kippur, which are referred to as two, Shnei Si'irei Izim, and about which the Mishnah teaches that they should be of equivalent appearance height, and value. Though the text says that Leah is less attractive than Rachel, the Torah Tamima's argument points to the likelihood that, like many siblings, the two sisters were actually of strikingly similar appearance. It is not only the rabbinic rules of exegesis that support this reading, but also the biblical text itself. Later in the story, we are told that Lavan successfully switched Leah for Rachel on her wedding night. Even Yaakov himself, who loved Rachel and who had spent seven years in the presence of both his favorite wife and her sister, apparently could not tell them apart in the absence of sufficient lighting. Rachel and Leah were both beautiful, both attractive, but Leah's years of inquiring after her fate and crying over it had left her bleary-eyed, world-worn, and bereft of her eyelashes. Leah wasn't born with sunken eyes. She became less attractive on account of her sorrow. Yet, Leah didn't ruin her looks on her own. She had the help of the passers-by, who were perfectly eager to share with her the information that she asked for. The information that, according to this interpretation, ruined her life. Through Leah's naming of her children, we can see how desperate she was for reassurance, for the love and approval of her husband, 
and even for the approval of people whom she hardly knows. This is most strikingly displayed when her son Asher is born. She names him after the reaction of other people. Vatomer le'ah ba'ashri ki ishruni vanot, vatikra et shemo asher. Leah said, in my fortune, because women will congratulate me. And she called his name fortune, Asher. Throughout the Torah, Leah is the only one who names a child in this way, not on account of the way he was born, not on account of his impact on her life or the life of her husband, but rather on the impression his birth will have on other women, on what outsiders will say, approvingly, about her. Her own name shares a root with the verb lamid aleph hey, to be weary and worn down, to take on suffering. Kishma kain he, she is like her name. Leah is so sensitive to what people think about her, what they feel about her, and what they'll say about her. She is particularly vulnerable to the gossip that she hears and takes it too much to heart. The Talmud and Bava Batra comes to highlight the role that Lashon Hara plays in this story and to highlight the impact that Lashon Hara has on Leah's life and destiny. The Torah tells us two things about Leah, that she was once as beautiful as Rachel and that she wasn't beautiful any longer. The text isn't designed to speak ill of our matriarch. It only draws our attention to Leah's appearance in order to show us how it changed through the Lashon Hara that Leah heard about herself. In other words, the reason why the Torah appears to be speaking Lashon Hara about Leah is to signal to the reader that it is through Lashon Hara that she became the woman that she did. The woman who bore seven children, fostered two, and still always felt bereft and desperate for approval. In the story that Rav tells, Leah would have been happy were it not for two pieces of information that she heard. The first appears to be innocent, almost silly gossip. These two sets of siblings are a perfect match for this set of siblings. The second was frightening and damaging information that Asaph was a highwayman and a threat to the public. She accepts both the canard that Asaph is a bad man and she accepts that she is a good match for him. She tragically assumes that this reflects poorly on her. Rav highlights the effect Alashan Hara has on Leah and how, despite herself, she seeks it out. She sits at the crossroads begging for information, then uses those rumors to destroy herself. The Talmud and Arachin discusses the dangers of Lashon Hara at length and speaks to its ill effects. B'ma'arava Amre, in the West, that is Israel, they say, Lashon Tulitai, Katil Tulitai, Horeg Lemesapro, Ule Mekabalo, Ule Omro. They say third party speech kills three the one who tells it, the one who accepts it, and the one about whom it is spoken. It is easy to see how Lashon Hara kills the one who speaks it. It is morally corrosive to gossip. It is easy to see how Lashon Hara kills its subject and can have long-lasting and harmful effects. What is difficult to understand 
is how it kills the one who hears it. How is Lashon Hara so damaging to them? They are innocent, and they are uninvolved. The story of Leah is the answer. It isn't always the case that the recipient of the Lashon Hara will be irreparably damaged by it, but sometimes they will be. We can only imagine what would have happened if Leah had asked after Asav and had been told, the older son is an impressive hunter who is devoted to honoring his father. Maybe then Leah's self-esteem would not have been destroyed. What if Leah had been told, people are always saying nonsense about other people. If you want to know what Asav is like, you need to meet him yourself. What if Leah hadn't felt compelled to ask about Asav at all? Because no one was sitting idly at the crossroads talking nonsense about who might be the right match for whom. We don't know. And what is so frightening about this is that we don't know how many times we ourselves have thought that we were answering an innocent question with accurate information, but to the person who was listening to it, it was so much more than that. And we won't ever know. Lashon Hara seduces the one who speaks it through its supposed truth value and through its claim of innocence. It is, however, like a snake bite where the venom's effects are delayed. Lavan, who has a reputation as a trickster and who has no regard for the truth, appears to be the only one who is not enthralled by this idle claim that the oldest child goes to the oldest and the youngest to the youngest. He wants Leah to be married and he hews to a completely independent rule when he is challenged about having swapped Leah for Rachel. Lavan explains, Vayomer Lavan, lo It is not done so in our place, to give the younger before the older. The Lashon Hara that Leah heard, that Leah internalized about being destined for the older son isn't relevant and it isn't true. But that doesn't matter. She finds this out too late. She doesn't have to marry Asav, and she doesn't. But Leah discovers this after she has already been devastated. We don't know what the other story could have been. That is what is so horrible about Lashon Hara. It forecloses the opportunity for new information for another story to be and to become true. When I was a little girl, I remember being told that when you see a stray eyelash, you should blow it away with a wish. I see Leah as her eyelashes fall out and think about how it didn't occur to her to dream of something different, to wish for something better than she had been promised. The Lashon Hara that she solicited and the Lashon Hara that she received prevented her from hoping. The story of Leah is not about what she looked like. She looked just like her sister. The story of Leah is about the story of Leah, the stories other people tell about us, and the stories that we tell about ourselves. Wishing you a Shabbat of communication with one another, not about one another. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Divrei Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.